<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume. Welcome to another episode of Totally 80s. Since we're all at home, why not take a second to follow us on Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram and email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. You can also check us out on video if you'd like to see our lovely faces on our Totally 80s YouTube channel. So check that out if you're feeling like you're so inclined. And joining me today, as always, is my partner in all things 80s, John Hughes. Lindsay, I am ready to laugh today. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Does anyone remember laughter? <laughs> I do. I you do. know why? Because we were just welcoming Jake Fogelnest onto the show on our last episode to talk about novelty songs in the 80s. And apparently this decade brought us so much hilarity that um, not unsurprisingly we ran long. So we had to go into episode two and bring this guy back. He is our special guest for a part de comedian, producer, radio personality, writer for television shows like Billy on the Street, Girl Boss, Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp, and a personal favorite, Difficult People. Also an experienced podcaster, which is why we went into extra innings with him. You may know him <laughs> from his excellent podcast, The Fogelness Files, which you should definitely check out. And of course, uh, even from the pre-podcast days, you will remember from Squirt TV on MTV, a show that was very ahead of its time because it was started in his own bedroom when he was just 14 years old. So we're happy to welcome back to Totally 80s for more novelty talk, Jake Fogelness. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's uh, great to be here. I, uh, If anyone out there uh, uh, has a dislike of me, I, I'm sorry that this turned into a two-parter. Um, and for those of you who do like me, it's patreon.com slash Jake Fogelnest. <laughs> we like you very much, Jake, which is why we decide to have you back because we need some more comic relief. Let's get into a lot of comedians threw their hat in the uh, novelty song ring in the 80s. A lot, some from the SNL world. There was Billy Crystal with You Look Marvelous. Um, yes. Oh. Jake, you're giving it prayer hands. No, um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a lot to say about, um, about Billy Crystal's uh, album, which this comes from. Um, he got an album too? Oh, well, but, yeah. it was, it's, but it's, was it like a normal comedy album that he would normally start, do? Or was it, it like starts, a Fernando album? It's a it's a stand-up album, but it starts with, uh, it has bookend, it's bookended by song parodies. So you have You Look Marvelous at the end. Um, then you have a answering machine message from Fernando. Um, but it starts with him and Christopher Guest doing the I hate when that happens guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they did a little song to that. And then it's Billy Crystal stand up. But then he does on the album, he does and he refers to it. I want to do this last piece. He refers to this this comedy routine as a piece because it's very serious to him. You know, Billy Crystal grew up um, his father 
uh, was a, a, a record producer and produced a lot of jazz uh, records and put out a lot of jazz music. So wow. Billy Crystal grew up around all these great jazz musicians. And then he does sort of this piece from his childhood and Tom Sharpling came up with the term for it, but he puts on what's essentially audio blackface uh-huh. and does this routine of like him as an old jazz man character. And um, it's just, it, it, he did it again for comic relief when they did it for Hurricane Katrina. And it's just like, I know that Billy Billy Crystal's intentions are coming from the best place. I know that he, you know, truly grew up in this world, but at the same time, it is just tone deaf. And um, and it's, you know, Billy Crystal. It's very hard. It's it, because there's some Billy Crystal that I I absolutely love. He's amazing. And when Harry met Sally, but there's also the Billy Crystal who has absolutely no sense of humor about himself. And like, yeah. you know, you know, seriously. it's not funny. It's not funny. It's not you funny. know, someone from the it's SNL funny, world that fun. I would put in the, in the same category and in the sense that what you just said applies, who I did, a, who did a song that I would call a novelty song. And also someone who some of his materials definitely not aged well is Eddie Murphy mm. because would you consider not party all the time? That was like a legit jam. No, that's it. Boogie that in your butt is Boogie, Boogie in your, in your butt. butt a novelty song? Yeah. Um, it's nonsense. It's a nonsense novelty song tagged on to the end of his stand up album. One of the greatest things that I am most proud of writing um, for Billy on the Street is um, Mark Twain quote or um, Eddie Murphy's stand up routine. And which is a game that we played, and and there, I think Billy on the Street's now on Netflix, and and it, it it airs. And look, I love Eddie Murphy, and I think Eddie Murphy has reflected upon that material, and he has apologized for that material, and he was wonderful in Dolomite is my name. Mm-hmm. But you know, Eddie Murphy at twenty years old said a lot of really ignorant, stupid, hateful stuff. Um, and the world laughed with it. And, um, Eddie Murphy today looks back on that and cringes as he should, it should be highlighted. You know, there are also huge sections of Eddie Murphy's delirious that are absolutely (laughs) brilliant and hysterical, but you know, he was 20 years old. Um, that being said though, yeah, booking in your butt holds up. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Boogie in your butt. I'll, I'll listen to that now in 2020. I it's think it's silly. kind of ironic that he had some, you know, quite frankly, super homophobic stuff in his stand up routines. In fact, the album that Boogie in Your Butt is in, I believe, opens yes. with a track that the word I'm not going to say. Yeah, yeah, he had a song <laughs> about putting things in your boogie in your butt. Like, yeah, it's to very me, strange. To me, it's, it's, la- yeah, Boogie in Your Butt reads not as homophobic as track one on that album. No, not it's at more all. A- more a celebration of the many things that you can put in your butt while dancing around. You know what I mean? Quite a long list. As the gay guy here on this podcast, I have to admit, I owned both those records and I laughed my ass off throughout. Yeah. At the time, you know, yeah. I look back now and I'm like, Oh, Eddie, but 
I bought it. I thought it was funny. I had a sense of humor about it. I, I, I laughed too, you know, and yeah. I and I think it's important to admit that we laughed at the time. And I also think it's important for us to go comedy evolves. Yeah, you can and and also it's important to like note that Eddie Murphy has been acknowledging this yeah. and actually contributing to AIDS organizations yeah. since yeah. forever. Yep. And yeah. me not wanting to contribute to cancel culture mm -hmm. and uh, me wanting to have the room to walk the line. Like, yeah, we look back at that. We laughed at the time we learn. And I think we get smarter and better with age. And Eddie Murphy is 20 year, 20 year old, 20 year old kid when yeah. he was well, saying all that stuff. There's another comedian I want to talk about who had a great novelty song that unfortunately, she didn't mean to be offensive at the time. It was just a different time. Unfortunately, this song is aged really badly and I believe she no longer performs it. But Julie Brown, not the Wubba Wubba downtown Julie Brown, but the other no. Julie Brown. Just say she, Julie Brown. She had a song that was sort of a parody of those like teen death songs of the 50s and early 60s and it was called The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. And at the time, I thought it was hilarious. It is a song about a teenager i love julie brown i loved her on earth girls are easy with because i'm a blind love her i think she, i loved her show on mtv when she had one but the song that she's best known for was the homecoming queen's got a gun which was a sort of like teen angel like horror story 1960s parody of a teenager who shoots up a prom it was comedy in 1980 whatever because it was a scenario that at that time seemed very far-fetched and ludicrous and would not happen so it could be played for laughs about like it had like this citizen cane like ending like why'd you do it i did it for johnny and now yeah they, and jake is holding it up wow yeah, that rhino records this is a rhino records white wow. liquid promo of the, of uh of the homecoming queen's got a gun but yeah you're right it, it's, it does it not is play a, well now at all it, there's no we, way that song could be comedy now in the last like since columbine basically right and and julie like i when i first moved to los angeles and i started uh my podcast the fogelness files i had a couple people on and literally when i moved to la i i said I really want to meet Julie Brown. Um, and I would want, I, I think she's incredible. I'm a huge, I've been a huge fan since I was a kid. She was the first person that when I was doing the Fogelness Files, like I had a couple people on just to establish credibility. She's the first person that I reached out to, to say, will you please come do my podcast? And she said, yes. And wow. then I had, and then I was like, would you like to do, uh, monologues at UCB. She brought her son. Um, I love Julie Brown. Um, I want to put her in more things. I, I think she is uh, this incredible uh, talent. And um, you know, Jesse Julie on MTV was was so funny. The, the Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun is just one of the many many brilliant julie brown songs that yeah that one has yeah i, you know, I want to perform anymore you i know. want to point out that no one was offended by it at the time no there was no offense it was not a distasteful song for the time mm -hmm. because it was a scenario that we did not hear about on the news all the time the idea that some vengeful teen would do this and you know it was a funny song i took no offense to it but now when you listen to it it's like oh holy cow can you imagine if this song came out now because you know, quite sadly, the world has changed a lot. And yeah, it, it definitely plays a lot differently now. There is one part that I will always 
crack me up no matter what. And that is when I lean down and whisper to Debbie in her good ear. Actually, you know, what's funny is I saw the video and heard the song for the homecoming Queens got a gun before I saw citizen Kane. So thanks Julie Brown for ruining citizen Kane for me, because I knew from the beginning when, you know, he goes rosebud. I'm like, Oh, it's a sled because of this song. I was not surprised at the end of Citizen Kane because of Julie Brown. But, you know, she didn't mean any harm by this song in multiple ways. She meant no no ill will. You got to give I'm a sure. shout out to A Girl Fight Tonight, too, because yeah. that's a song. from the body of a white girl, you know, which, which, again, you could say, oh, is that okay? Yeah, it is. And it's like Julie Brown... I, I, I couldn't love her more and yeah, she's um, awesome. And you can get, I think, direct from her website, you know, just say Julie, her MTV show, which I just Look, a was, model's brain. <laughs> it was so formative. She was so formative to what I thought was funny. And I went back with her on on it's behind the Stitcher premium paywall. But like, you know, I found her first appearance on Laverne and Shirley. You yeah. know, wow. like I, I just uh, am the biggest Julie Brown. I saw Laverne, her girls and easy in the theater. Laverne, I did too. Laverne's yeah. a new roommate when Shirley leaves is Julie. Mm -hmm. Brown. Is she, that true? She did yeah. actually. Two, she actually she said she did two episodes as two different characters, and um, yeah, no, Julie Brown is one of those uh, artists where I'm like, yes, I have it all. I have every, if it's a promo copy, if it's a 12 inch, if it's a seven inch, if it's a cassette, I just, I just, you know, for, for, for the Valley uh, Relics Museum, I am ready at any moment to loan out the Julie Brown collection. And I, I, so I did because Girl Fight Tonight has a phrase that is really just gut-wrenchingly funny and actually kind of really poetic and, and really artistic. And that is, Girl Fight Tonight, blood and mascara will run. <laughs> That's quite goth, actually. Right? The the uh, the other thing that's so interesting about Julie Brown's um, album, speaking to you know what you were saying about it being an album driven industry. First of all, signed to Sire Records, and you know they have a couple of songs on the Trapped in a uh, Body of a White Girl album that are just kind of straightforward pop songs because they yep. were simultaneously seeing that they could try to break her as a kind of like a, a Madonna, even though she was parodying Madonna, they were, you know, kind of almost what happened with Tracy Ullman, who was a comedian, exactly. but had real like covered Kirsty McCall and had like, you know, real yeah. songs. Interesting. I didn't know that actually. I got to go find that. I know you have it, but I'm not prepared. I don't have my Julie Brown album. It's I just do it's want a weird area where I am a completist and um, she's, she's great. I, I will go to the Valley Relics Museum, but there's a couple other comedians I want to talk about who did uh, songs that I would consider novelty songs. One of which is a timeless classic, but one of which, even though I thought found him really funny at the time, the video at least does not age well. And that is, uh, you know, rest in peace, Sam Kinison, but the wild thing video, he covered the Trogs wild thing. And, you know, obviously with some different lyrics where he's like, why didn't you tell me you were a demon from hell? And it has Jessica Hahn in her like rebellious phase, you know, sexy phase. And it basically shows her like, just kind of like putting on a sort of like strip teasy type of like, you know, girls, 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 Motley Crue style show. And there's all of these 
Uh, actually, Rodney Dangerfield's in the video, but there's like a whole bunch of other like, you know, hair metal people from the time, like yeah. members of Aerosmith and Guns N' Roses and Poison and Bon Jovi and Rats and Billy Idol and Motley Crue, actually. And they're all kind of like yelling and screaming at Jessica Hahn and like ogling her. And like, I completely remember thinking this video was funny and thinking Sam Kinison was funny. I still think Cam Sam Kinison's stand-up is funny a lot of the time. I think he was a great comedian. But, you know, him, again, everyone was getting green lit because, yeah, I don't know how I feel about Wild Thing by Sam Kinison now. I remember really uh, respecting the amount of restraint used in that video because they actually did not hose her down at any point. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, they got one up on Warrant then on Cherry Pie. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I obviously, you know, Sam was a, a rock and roll comedian. You know, I, I think probably... Uh, the likes of which we had never seen before. And I, and I think that, you know, w w working in comedy and working in music, there's this bizarre thing where all rock stars want to be comedians and all comedians want to be rock stars. We're, we're, it's a very, and sometimes the, it melds very well together. You know what I mean? Even going to like the Foo Fighters and some of their early music videos and, and stuff like, uh, but Sam yeah, is a perfect example. Tenacious is yeah the the ultimate example and and you know i i just think that i would have loved to have seen sam kinnison at one o'clock in the morning uh at the comedy store and then i would have liked to gone home i i'm very glad that you know um i was not uh part of Sam Kinison's entourage. I'm glad, you know what I mean? I, I, it, and I know Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kinison were, were very contentious. It's very interesting that, um, that Dice never made a novelty song. He, uh, right. he, he, he yeah. didn't, you know, um, even though he had did Ford Fairlane, uh, which I think is actually a great movie. Um, he was in Star is Born last yeah. year. In a series, uh, we, a musical film, but in a non-musical role. And he's incredible. Because yeah. what what I think is the Dice character, there's Andrew Clay Silverstein, the actor. And then there is the Dice Man, which is this character he created, who was, you know, like if you go back to old episodes of Different Strokes, he was Andrew Clay, you know. Then mm -hmm. the Dice Man, and then, and then it gets mixed, you know, it gets mixed up as the fame kind of happened, the... Andrew Clay Silverstein became sort of dice, and now I think it's sort of balanced out. And what about with Sam Kinison, though? Was that him in real I life? Think unfortunately, I think, unfortunately, we'll never know. You know, I think that Sam Kinison, you know, not to bring the show down, was in a good period. Um, and then ironically was killed by a drunk driver and, you know, he came yeah. from a religious background and, and I don't know how Sam Kinison would have evolved and what side of the, uh, debate, uh, he would be on, you know, it's just so it's, it, I don't know. Um, but you know, for his time, his voice was valid. It was a massive hit. It was mm -hmm. a MTV staple. Mm -hmm. It was. Do I think it sent the re the wrong message to a lot of young boys? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but not every young boy for its time. I, I think it's important in the history of pop culture and comedy, uh, and uh, and a good 
song for Sam Kinison to do as a rock and roll comedian. It's the ultimate rock and roll song. And then if you want to look for something really funny, listen to the Trogs tapes, the recording. <laughs> well, on <laughs> the subject of rock and roll comedians, something that's come up on the show before, the best rock and roll comedy show, in my opinion, ever was The Young Ones. Mm, I agree. And even though it was not a hit here, Neil from The Young Ones, Nigel Planer, he had a number two song. <laughs> Maybe he got cock-blocked by Joel Dolce too. I don't know. But a number two song on the UK charts, of course, with a cover of a traffic song called Hole in My Shoe. He was on top of the pops and all that. And this one, like I said, this is the classic that holds up nothing problematic about this one. I love everything that is related to the young ones. But the fact that he had a number two song in the UK shows you how big that show was over there. And it, you know, it got, MTV kind of jumped on that too. They would play that Top of the Pops performance on MTV and they sold the album by mail order on MTV. Really? Yeah, yeah. there were direct mail commercials for it. The thing that blew my mind, and I did not realize this, sadly, until about 15 years ago, I had no idea that song was a cover. I thought it was Neil being funny, psychedelic. I thought it was written for him because the lyrics are so spot on for that character. I was like, nobody could ever really write this song seriously. And then I find out it's a traffic song. Wait, so there was an album, a whole Neil album? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. The Experience? Is that what it's called, Jake? I, like I, I forget the exact name, but the, yes, there's a there's a Neil album, and then of course the Young Ones did a cover of Living Doll with <laughs> Cliff Richard, yeah. and and just the relationship. First of all, Lindsay, I couldn't agree with you more. Just in terms of uh, uh, rock and roll comedy, the Young Ones is the gold standard, and so informative to myself and everybody else that I know in comedy. We just have such an appreciation for the Young Ones. Uh, uh, and you know the 12 that they did and the relationship that the young ones had with music of uh, just like okay uh music and then motorheads in the their living and the room. damned the friggin and damned the damned and like music the Madness. musical guests in the middle of a sitcom is not something that's ever been done i to my knowledge since and i don't know if you could and the young ones is just uh, for for anyone that hasn't watched the young ones, like please do <laughs> do uh, it now. Do it, it now. Cool. You have such a gift waiting for you. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you're going to love the young ones. Yeah. It's just so funny. I, I I I don't think a year goes by where I don't you know pull out an episode of it. And um, I, I I within the last six months, I had to watch the nosing around uh, segment. You know. <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's a rock and roll comedy show. And, um, and, and they had, you know, two, two, you know, novelty songs, uh, attached to the show. I love Neil's thing. That's hilarious. You didn't know it was a traffic cover. <laughs> you well, know? I, I'm having, I'm remembering all this stuff now. It's called Neil's Heavy Concept Album. Yes, Neil's Heavy Concept Album. Hello. Oh, oh, there you are. What you doing under the table? Oh, never mind. Listen, I want to tell you about my groovy new album, right? It's called Neil's Heavy Concept Album, and it's really beautiful. It's got a great song in it, right, called Hole in My Shoe. And all that I knew was the hole in my shoe, which was letting it more down. Uh, remember me, I'm Neil from The Young Ones, right? And uh, the main thing about this album is, like, you can only get it from MTV, right? 
Because they were the only people together enough. British comedy gets heavy with Neil's Heavy Concept album. 20 songs, Neil originals, and new versions of smashes from the 60s. Send check or money order for $8.98 plus $150 postage and handling to Neil. It is on streaming services if you want to check it out. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It, that It's like such a British phenomenon. But I think if there was any novelty song of the 80s that was more of a British phenomenon than Neil from The Young Ones having a number two hit in the UK with a traffic cover... It's Doctor and the TARDIS, which when we talk about things that we didn't know was done by a group called the Time Lords, which I did not know until years later was actually the friggin' KLF. Yeah. KLF did that song. For those who don't know what that was, this was like this bizarre mashup of like a sweet song, I believe it was Blockbuster, the now problematic Gary Glitter song, Rock and Roll, and the Doctor Who theme song. And it somehow worked really super well. It wasn't even almost a novelty. It was like on K-Rock out here. I was just going to say, as a Whovian, I don't find that a novelty song whatsoever. So you need to stop that. Uh, (laughs) That was was a legit dance track for me. And it packed dance floors uh, in clubs in the late 80s. That was a go-to track for DJs. How British is that? The KLF were so interesting to me. And also, I, I will say... I, you know, Gary Glitter is the, about, uh, the worst human being on the planet, uh, but boy, are some of those songs fun. And you can always just listen to the Glitter Band. That's without Gary Glitter. Right. You know, there's always the Glitter Band stuff we can listen to. But, um, you know, it, it, it reminds me, and I don't know if it, it's not, it's sort of the opposite of a novelty song, but it reminds me of Paul Hardcastle's 19. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the you fun know? fact about that that's related? I, I, Okay. No, tell me, please. Real quick. Simon Fuller, mm-hmm. who created American Idol, created um, uh, the Spice Girls, and has yeah. a company, a hugely successful company called 19 Entertainment. It's named after that because the first thing he did in the music business was manage Paul Hardcastle, and that was his first hit. And he I named his no company idea. 19 Entertainment after that hit. So there's a tie from that song, which is about casualties in the Vietnam War, to American Idol and the Spice Girls. Who knew? I knew. But most people don't know. That's that's amazing. And also, I will say, Spice World, the Spice Girls movie, is worth a revisit. Um, oh, yeah, it is. It's hilarious. I saw it opening night. It is a movie that does not take itself too seriously. It, it was uh, a lot of fun then. And it's a lot of fun still. And, um, you know, yeah, it has jokes in it. Meatloaf as their bus driver, you know, saying John in it has Costello in it. But I do want to, going back to the eighties for a second, I do want to say, since we're talking about 19 entertainment and American idol, Simon Cowell, also had some auspicious novelty song beginnings. I wouldn't call 19 by Paul, Paul Hardcastle. No, it's not a, a novelty. It's the opposite. Song. But yeah. I would call Wonder Dogs Rough Mix, a song with barking dogs that I believe predated the Jingle Cats and Jingle Dogs, in which Simon Cowell went on children's TV in a dog suit. You can find this on YouTube. And it's funny because when they're interviewing him, he's totally talking in the Simon Cowell voice. He's like, well, yes, the reason I decided to do this is he's he's totally serious in Simon Cowell but then he performs a song in a dog who called Rough R-U-F-F mix 
And uh, that was Simon Cowell's beginning in music is self-marketing like a novelty song about a singing dog. So, you know, it's all tied together in some way. Amazing. Or another. Amazing. Yeah. No, a, a good novelty song will, will, will do you well. It's like uh, more seventies, but Casablanca records, you know, created their offshoot millennium records based off of Mecco's, um, you know, star Wars and other galactic funk, which is just simply the star Wars theme to a disco beat. And a, a total cash in, but you know, they sold millions of them. There's and the history of record labels subsidizing the Joni Mitchells with uh, the novelty tracks. I mean, mm -hmm. it's and definitely some of the novelty tracks outsell them. I have a couple questions about um, a couple of songs that sort of we were talking about glam rock. So, do you consider Hot, Hot, Hot by Buster Poindexter, aka David Johansson of the New York Dolls. Is that a novelty song? Because, you know, that song was huge and probably, not probably, definitely more successful in terms of sales and charting than anything the New York Dolls ever did in the US. But like. I think it was a lot of people, most people's introduction to David Johansson. And mm -hmm. I think most people of the world uh, probably know Buster Poindexter and don't know David Johansson. And yeah, that's all very confusing to me. Um, uh, Buster Poindexter, I mean, he, he he was on Saturday Night Live and, and did it. And, you know, I just put that in a category of like, you know, Bruce Willis and the return of Bruno, where it's just like, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that happened. We, we just let it happen. You know, it was like, <laughs> Bruce Willis was charming on Moonlighting and then he did some wine cooler commercials. And next thing you know, he's doing an earnest cover of Respect Yourself. And we just said, okay, this is happening. Same thing with Buster Poindexter. I think, you know, David Johansson, for if anyone deserved to get paid and have a hit, it was David Johansson and this Buster Poindexter character. It was just him having fun. It doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't detract from anything that he did. Oh, of course um, you know, with the New York Dolls, it was just like, I'm doing this now, you know, <laughs> it was fun. I also want to ask, since we're talking about Britishness and also about like kind of novelty rapping, where do you guys stand on what by Captain Sensible? And for that matter, the D.D. Ramone rapping stuff, since we're talking about like punks who started to rap, are those novelty songs? Well, you know, D.D. Ramone's rap album was truly done with such earnestness from D.D. Ramone. You know, that was at a time where I think he was particularly frustrated in the Ramones and he was listening to a lot of hip hop and he understood it and he, he related to it. He was like, oh, I get what this is about. And he was really trying his best to do hip hop and it just kind of sounds like, you know, and he sort of admits, you know, like I tried and, you know, it was very earnest. It was very earnest coming from Didi. And I think it really bothered Johnny and uh, just you, that gets into the whole history of the Ramones. Mm -hmm. um, unintentionally funny, I think to Didi Ramone, um, I think to all of us, it was just sort of like, you know, like, I'm glad it I'm glad it happened. I feel bad that Didi kind of didn't get the artistic endeavor that maybe he wanted, but like not the guy who's capable of 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 pulling off hip hop. But I appreciate the effort. I don't know what it means, but Rhino put it out on vinyl two years ago for record yeah. store A and it's yeah. still out. 
Um, uh, it sold well. It sold well. It sold out. It sold wow. out. One of them to me, um, my uh, dear friend uh, Jocelyn uh, uh, bought me that as a gift, uh, and she just knew I didn't. I don't have the original, and and I'm very happy to have the the Rhino <laughs> Record Store repress. And it's good uh, to be prepared. It's good. It's to be, you're very good well to be prepared. <laughs> I will say though that Captain Sensible's rappy song. Uh, uh, Watt, W-O-T I think, I don't know if he was trying to be serious I think he was trying to be funny But I think he pulled that one off That song yeah. is a banger That song's a banger Captain Sensible can do whatever the hell he wants <laughs> You know what I mean? He's Captain kind of Sensible, man We were talking about uh, novelty songs paying the rent More or less We gotta talk about Frank Zappa and Moon Union. Well, I was sure. just literally about to say that I was literally, before I said sorry John I was about to say, so since we're sort of Wrapping things up with people who actually are credible who were like real musicians who came from real bands and had a large body of work yes i teased it a couple of times during the show frank zappa as legit as it gets uh you know certainly if you're at a level where you're getting your your not even a specific song goes but your style is getting parodied by weird al then you know you are a real credible artist but for a lot of people who are you know not super huge music dorks they probably only know him from valley girl and I believe that did not sit well with him or, you know, that song, the song was a double-edged sword for him because it did pay his rent. It was a huge hit. It was a top, it was his only top 40 hit, but you know, did it really represent what he was about? No. You know, it's very interesting. Cause like, you know, I love the, the story behind this song. I love that he, you know, pulled moon into the studio and, you know, to do it. And, you know, yeah, it was a double-edged sword. At the same time, like, I do have a 12-inch of them, um, yeah, the, like, re-releasing it, like, later on in life, like, with a more updated photo of Moon as she was older. Like, they, you know, d like, re-released it uh, in 1989 or something. So, you know, yeah, but it, here's the thing. Frank Zappa... Um, and I'm I'm very much looking forward to Alex Winter's documentary, and I will watch any Zappa documentary. I think I'm more interested in Frank Zappa the person than I am most of the music. Um, and I think that's what Frank Zappa's problem with his life was was like um, he had a lot of contempt for his fans, <laughs> and um, apparently he, he had a lot of contempt for the Valley because I grew up yeah. in the Valley, and yeah. I specifically remember being a very little kid, my mom picking me up from school. Car, it was her day to carpool. Uh, Kiss FM or KIQQ, one of you know one of the top forty radio stations was on, and they were playing Valley Girl, and she was laughing her ass off, and she was like, "This song is hilarious. It's about where we live. It's a you know I don't even think I had a concept of." I live in quote unquote the Valley or the San Fernando Valley. She's like, it's about where we live. And even at that grade school age, I listened to it. I'm like, this song ain't flattering. Like this song <laughs> is making fun of where we live. And I yeah. actually didn't know anyone who actually talked like that. Of course there were references to things like the gallery and stuff that I knew, but I was like, I don't know anyone who talks like this, but you know, he definitely, if he had contempt for his fans, but definitely this was, you know, it's funny to me that Valley girl became this thing that spawned a movie it spawned a fashion craze. It spawned like a whole like pop culture interest in the Galleria. And there was like the Valley girl handbook with like, you know, the dictionary of how to talk yeah. like this way that I never, I never heard anyone say gag me with a spoon ever <laughs> at all. We said like, and awesome and rad, but I think everyone in the eighties in California, especially did, but like, 
you know, it's interesting. Lindsay, I think you might have hung with a smarter crowd. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just like, interesting. I say like all the time. It's actually been brought up to me that I say it a lot. And it's something I can't untrain myself to do because I grew up. I don't know if that's even a Valley. Thing. I don't think that's a Valley thing. I think that's just, you're just as broadcasters, we notice this thing. And it, yeah. So yeah. like, 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 as I was like, <laughs> but uh, I, I think he, Moon Unit did encounter these yeah. people, you know. And yeah, I mean, it was based on truth, but it's to the extreme. But my point is, it spawned this whole pop culture phenomenon that was a, a hugely successful movie that even just got remade and stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, it was not, <laughs> I just said like again, it was not a song that was meant to really celebrate the Valley and the people of the Valley. It was making fun of them for yeah. being shallow and materialistic and airheaded. Yeah. And yet it became, so I don't know how Frank, if you're talking about him having contempt for his audience felt about the fact that it became this Valley, you know, thing, you know, I, I, I appreciate that song for a, a few reasons, but mostly for giving me the phrase, Lord God, King Bufu. That was <laughs> and I love the most earnest, cutest performance by Moon Unit on Solid Gold lip syncing this. It's so great. Yeah. She's got like star quality at the age of 13, just kind of like, you know, casually tossing by these bon mons while the Solid Gold dancers are writhing around her, Joe Valley Girl. It's the cutest thing ever. And I can see why she eventually got a sitcom on CBS. She's got yeah. some. I she just did. love Moon. Yeah, she had, a, she had a sitcom for a minute. And, you know, and then. <laughs> And Dwe yeah, with Dweezil, and then Dweezil also released, you know, a song not nearly as successful as Valley Girl, but on his dad's label, um, you know, Dweezil being very into metal, but they did a song called My Mom is a Space Cadet. Didn't um, Eddie Van Halen produce that? I think or so. Work on it in yeah, some way? yeah, it's not in some capacity. I, 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 I certainly think that Eddie Van Halen gave Dweezil some guitar lessons or something. Uh, but like, you know, he was so into metal. And my mom is a space cadet. Is what? What do you call that? You know, like Frank Zappa's songs. You know, going back to, you know, the mothers of invention. You know, have inherent humor um to them they're you know uh so valley girl being the big hit i think there was other humorous things that he was trying to say in his music and i think that also you know by the time we get to the end of frank zappa's life it was like i won't I don't need musicians. I can make a, a symphony with a, a synclavier, you know, with a computer. And like, he's a very interesting man. I will be endlessly interested in uh, his story. Um, he was a, a, a great um, wit and a great uh, interviewer, interview subject and, um, and, and, uh, and possibly a terrible human being. Um, um, but, <laughs> But uh, but also possibly a wonderful human being. I don't know. Um, well, well but, Jake, yeah. we're running out of time. So I just want to say you're a great wit and a great interview oh, subject and a wonderful you. human being. And mm -hmm. I feel this is a good uh, time to sort of cap it off because I think I would argue, and as the co-host of Totally 80s, I feel I'm somewhat of an authority on this. The two greatest novelty songs of the 80s were Pac-Man Fever and Valley Girl. So I feel it's great that we kind yeah. of book. Do you agree, John, as the other co-host? Is the other John Hughes? Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna vacillate a little bit on Pac-Man Fever, but I do want to make sure as the uh, that dude on Totally 80s that always does this crap 
I want to give a quick shout out to Blotto for being early MTV novelty hit. I want to be a lifeguard. Yeah. So, and I want to be a cowboy. People wanted to be a lot of things in the 80s, apparently. But Blotto, I'm going to pour 40 for you later tonight. So, Jake, I'll actually, since I, I sort of, we both threw in our suggestions, what do you think is the greatest novelty hit of the entire decade? Novelty with you. The greatest novelty hit of the decade, uh, it, you know, it's very hard for me to pick a favorite. Uh, I, I'm, I, I, will go, I will give it to uh, the king, Weird Al, um, just because I'll just like I'm in, just gonna in general, it, in general, I'm just going to give it to Weird Al because um, uh, he really is the person that is so closely associated with the eighties and with novelty music and uh, has continued to do it the best of anyone. Um, I think even the lonely Island who uh, in my opinion are uh, three gentlemen who have yet to make a mistake with their uh, novelty music um, and are spot on. They will give it up to weird Al and even though Weird Al never got permission to do a Prince parody, um, he was at the premiere of Purple Rain. So, um, you know, if you get invited to the premiere of Purple Rain because you sang Eat It, <laughs> you win the 80s. You're the GOAT. You're the GOAT. You're the greatest of all time. And um, and uh, it's just uh, it's just so much fun to, to do this with you because... Uh, yeah. You, 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 uh, I, you know, we could talk for hours. We could well, hours. we, we, we could, but we do It'd need be, to wrap this up. It was a wonderful for people. <laughs> no, it, we'll have you back on because this was a great two part episode and you, your knowledge of the, the, between the three of us, I think our knowledge is a, is a great trifecta, but before I let you go, Jake, is there anything you want to talk about that you're working on that you can let our fans know? I started a Patreon. I, I, I couldn't be busier. So I decided, you know, let me make myself busier. Um, but patreon.com slash Jake Fogelnest, that is where you can actually see old episodes of my public access show, Squirt TV. Wow. Um, some as they were originally broadcast. There's all different tiers. I'm also making new podcasts. And I just said, F it. I... <laughs> have been seeing everybody else doing shows from their house. Um, I did it first. I did this first. And for five bucks uh, a month, you can get a show for me, a TV show called I Did This First. You get to see a little bit of the old stuff. You get to see me now. Uh, Ten bucks, you get a podcast. You get everything. I've done everything. I made an hour comedy special with Steve Agee. There's just a ton of fun stuff on my Patreon and it's patreon.com slash Jake Fogelmest. And uh, I, I'm making things in my house right now because I can. Um, I've got a <laughs> microphone. I've got lots of microphones. I've got cameras. And um, I can't go out. And, um, and, I, and, and it's been six. I've been so focused on, you know, writing for television. And like, okay, I've got some Emmy nominations now. I, I haven't had a show in six years, since I was 15 years old, this is the longest period of time where I haven't had some sort of show, whether it was being on Sirius XM or the MTV show or the podcast. So I just said, screw this. 
and started a Patreon. And <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And it uh, sounds like fun. And five dollars a month is a bargain. So yeah. everybody, everybody definitely check that out. Thank you, Jake, for joining us from your house and yeah. having a, a safe and socially distanced journey back to the novelty songs of the 80s. I think these are the kind of songs we could all use right now in these dark times. So thanks everybody for listening. Special thanks to you, Jake. I'm Lindsay Parker, and I've been joined today by my partner in all things 80s, the other John Hughes. We want to thank everyone for listening. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, and we will catch you next time. This was Totally 80s the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s, and please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. Bye.